From MGMA, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. The conversation that just kept occurring again and again was great leaders who knew what they were supposed to do, but then would kind of whisper to me, but I'm just too tired to do it. That's Sarah Ross on the evolution of her leadership coaching focus. We'll hear more from Sarah on what it means to be a vitality advocate, tips for shaking off the dreaded vacation hangover, and how to help reduce digital depletion. But first, a word from our sponsor. MGMA 20, the financial conference, is right around the corner, and we've got an exclusive discount for podcast listeners looking to join us March 5th through 7th in Nashville. Use the code POD20 at registration to save $200 and reserve your spot at an industry-leading event designed to help medical professionals run a more profitable and efficient practice. Whether you're a CFO, accountant, physician, consultant, or other related position, the Music City is where you'll want to be. To learn more or to register, visit mgma.com TFC20. And don't forget to use the code POD20 to save $200. It's Wednesday afternoon, and you're officially halfway through the traditional work week. You've likely spent a good deal of energy just to make it to this point, and you're probably going to need as much or more to tackle everything else on your to-do list before Friday at 5. And this brings you to a critical decision. Hunker down and power through to the finish line, or take a few minutes to breathe and regroup. That decision is easy for this week's guest, Sarah Ross, one of two keynote speakers at MGMA's upcoming financial conference. On March 5th in Nashville, Sarah will open the annual event with a presentation called Welcome to the Energy Revolution, a session showing just how much there is to be gained from the power of recovery. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, you're a keynote speaker, a leadership strategist, and coach, but uh, there's something interesting. Uh, according to your website, you're also a vitality advocate. Yes. I have to ask, I've never heard that term before. What is a vitality advocate? So I really take this from a workplace perspective, and, and a vitality advocate is it's a self-given title, just for the record, but it's more of my mission statement baked into what I do. And so when I think about being a vitality advocate, it means bringing vitality back into the workplace. So if you just even look at the genuine definition of vitality, vitality is the power giving continuance to life that must be nourished in order to be sustained. It's the aliveness factor. And so for me, in this world that I have had the opportunity to work in for over a decade of leadership development, I see so many committed, dedicated, engaged, passionate, intelligent people who wanna do great work and wanna be of service, but the way they are doing it means that they often are trading in all other parts of their life in order to be successful. So from a vitality advocate, I'm advocating that I can help people and I wanna see there be a shift in how we do work so people can do work they're proud of. They can be the leaders that their organizations need them to be and to do it in a way that doesn't mean trading in all energy and all other elements of their life that give them a sense of fulfillment. Mm -hmm. 
How did you get interested in this field? <laughs> I know leadership is, it's a huge field, leadership huge. coaches, but you've got your own spin on it with the sort of energy levels, the vitality yeah. aspect of it. So where did that interest come from? So for about 10 years, just under 10 years, I worked in a leadership development company. I am, like genuinely, I have just always been intrigued in why people do what they do, why we don't always do what we're supposed to do. But I spent the majority of the last 10 years studying emotional intelligence, like helping leaders translate their experience and their expertise through their relationships, through their ability to influence and create buy-in. I start with that because what ended up happening through doing a lot of coaching, I designed a lot of training programs, is I was helping leaders to do this. But what the conversation that just kept occurring again and again was great leaders who knew what they were supposed to do, but then would kind of whisper to me, but I'm just too tired to do it. Mm -hmm. Like I just feel exhausted and so i knew that there was this place where we need people to expand their learning capacity we need to be building skills and to be agile we need to do it with people in a collaborative way we mm -hmm. need to work in in more effective ways with people that's straight out there but there was something missing and i'll tell you the tipping point then became a personal experience and um, I was working on a on a leadership based emotional intelligence survey I was going to give it out to uh, at a conference that I was speaking at my husband comes in and he sits down beside me and I think being very emotionally intelligent and self-aware I I think well this would be a great opportunity for great conversation with my significant other so I I kind of pass over the assessment to him and I said I, I want you to assess me on these questions and he looks at me and he pauses and he's like, no. <laughs> and I was like, what? Mm -hmm. I won't get mad as I'm getting mad. And uh, it was this very simple conversation that served as a tipping point to focusing on this expanded piece of not just leadership from how you do it, but where the energy comes from. He said to me, um, I know you love what you do. Mm -hmm. And I bet the people who work with you would say you do these things very well. It just means I don't always get the best of you. Mm -hmm. And it was one of those moments where it really was this reflection of what I was hearing from people again and again, where they they want to work well. The challenge with that is that sometimes means then that the people who deserve the best of us end up getting the leftover us. Mm -hmm. And that includes us like just in being able to engage in the things that we want. So I knew that the way the world's lines have blurred between work and life and with technology, we need to build different skills, just like we're learning in the workplace for how we're going to manage our energy and our capacity. And so I just needed to expand outside of just teaching people how to lead at work to how they lead themselves in life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, just before um, we began recording, you and I were talking about uh, the two of us were both in different parts of Florida. You were in, I believe, Tampa. I was in yes. Orlando. And uh, I am a, uh, I can't even say I'm a bad golfer. I, I don't golf. <laughs> I don't golf. But uh, my wife does. And she, she was with me and said, let's go play golf. And Oh, great. Yeah. And I, I when I do t play terribly, I play left-handed, but they didn't have any left-handed clubs. <laughs> but I'm so bad that I played right-handed and it really didn't make a difference. Yeah. But 
But uh, the point is, we were all, you know, you were in Tampa, I, uh, my family and I were in Orlando, and we were all soaking up the sun and yeah. having fun there and and trying to, uh, you know, just enjoy being there at that time. Yeah. And then you flew back to Toronto and probably yes. cold there, I'm guessing. We flew back to... <laughs> Unfortunately. Yeah, we flew back to Denver and in, in basically in a snowstorm. And yeah terrible drive home and then a lot of plowing out uh, the next day and then I, it, it's exactly what you were just talking about I, I plot myself down here at work yesterday and and then uh, after having just this great high of being on a vacation and being in the sun suddenly back at work back at the yeah. grind uh, felt just kind of like blah and yeah Talk about that for a minute. What's mm. the dynamic going on? How do we avoid doing that when we have yeah. had that great time away and then you get back? And even if you love your job, it's still yeah. it's still work and, and you got to kind of get that mindset changed. What do, what do you do there? Yeah. So a couple things. Um, first, I want to acknowledge the fact that you were you went and you did something that was different. You weren't good at it. But I bet even if it was frustrating sometimes to not be able to kind of hit that golf ball with consistency, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that happened because the same thing <laughs> happens to me. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, look at how I made the biggest mistake when I started golfing is quite literally one of my first swings was fantastic. Uh -huh. It's like this golf thing's easy. It just went downhill from there. But um, <laughs> I am guessing by even just incorporating something like that into your time away, it it was fun and it was rejuvenating. And we know from the data that when we do things that are a little bit different, it it creates memories because it's something mm -hmm. different. And when we create those memories, it expands our perception of time and it's very rejuvenating. So that that I applaud you for doing. The, the challenge that I hear people, and myself included, I, I really do work on this. Every part of the reason I do this, I should have been more upfront, is also because I am a work in progress on mm -hmm. it. So I'm constantly, uh, as you could tell from my last story. So then the other part of it, people are like, I, I'm more stressed out taking a vacation. Mm -hmm. There's just too much to to come down, come back to. So and you know things get done wrong, or I can't shut off, so I have to keep doing this. Uh, what we know is that when you are coming back and there is a little bit of a vacation hangover, like that is just a normal element of things. And what I mean by that is we've just gotten this opportunity to disconnect. Often we experience a, a, a lag time to kind of get back in our groove. The longer that takes, that might actually be a good indication that it, that the restorative practices aren't happening as often as they potentially could be. So if, I don't know, we just had a quick conversation, but um, you were sharing too that it's not always as natural to leave all work behind. So mm -hmm. when you do do that, it's super freeing, but it also means there's this big kind of uh, adjustment when you get back into the workplace. So there's strategies to manage that, like making a list before you leave so you know exactly what you need to get back into. But I think the piece that we we negate is just a little bit i call it you know magical five five minutes mm -hmm. the, the reflection of what made that so hard coming back what why is it hard to take that time off so sometimes a little bit of awareness needs to be there so we can start to build in the habit of disconnecting from work a little bit more often so that we also learn the strategies of getting back into it but when your brain thinks oh my gosh 
I don't know the next time that's going to happen. It resists getting back into the grind. Mm -hmm. But when we actually are starting to say, like, even if it's a, okay, every Saturday morning, I'm going to wake up and and until four o'clock. Now I would advocate a full day every weekend, at least that is work free. But when we know that we can count on having some time to, to kind of disconnect, we don't feel that dread of starting again because we know that something else is coming. It's when we're in that push through mode that that lag time becomes stronger and harder to get over, which Mm -hmm. then makes us convince ourselves irrationally that just not taking a break is a better idea. Right. Now, switching gears, you had talked um, about working with organizations on leadership Mm -hmm. skills the last 10 years or so. In that time frame, you've uh, collected a really impressive and eclectic group, uh, including United Health Group, Verizon, mm-hmm. Adobe, Fidelity. I saw uh, executives with the Orlando Magic NBA team on there. Um, that's a, a very eclectic group. Mm-hmm. So are there common themes you found through your research and your consulting about what holds leaders back? What keeps yeah. them from you know, reaching that that peak energy level or peak performance level. Yeah. Well, the the beautiful thing that has happened in the work that I get to do is I do get to go into so many different industries, uh, so many levels within companies and so many places around the world. And I each time I really must be honest, I get I get nervous. I'm like, okay, well, this is, you know, what if their world is different? And even though the the details of people's everyday lives may be different, uh, jobs are different, the human element does not change. And, and what that means is, is the, the common drivers of, of success, the impediments that we experience, the ways that we want to prove ourselves competent and worthy, those things are, are all the same. And, and I would say a couple of things that have come up again and again and again is um, some of the just, it's not even just the behaviors that, that people demonstrate, but it's some of the beliefs that we hold deep that actually get us into trouble. And one of those, we kind of were talking about this belief of, if I just push through, I can get everything done and then I'll take care of myself and then I'll, I'll take a break. So we just keep pushing through and pushing through and pushing through and our brain's not designed for that. And so what ends up happening is, is we end up stressed out, our system's loaded with cortisol. And so all of those skills that we're building to kind of lead and collaborate with people and learn new things, we have less access to those when we're exhausted. Mm-hmm. We are, it's very hard to be filled with empathy when we're drained of energy. And those are some of those, those key pieces. So what I, I would say as a collective that I am seeing is the mistake the people are making. And, and it's that idea that it's the distinction between being committed to doing the work that you do and being consumed by the work that you do. The consumed piece is the never turning that off. The consumed piece is I must drive through. The consumed piece is I must be of service. People need me so I can't let this go. I can't de- delegate this out. I need to, I've, I've seen leaders create environments where they've inadvertently made themselves indispensable. 
And that, I think, is a very, very dangerous place for people to be because that means that they have to be a part of every decision. They have to attend every single meeting. They have to respond to every single email. And and there isn't a capacity or an ability to kind of take a step back and do that strategizing, do that energy refueling, which we can't outsource to anyone else. It actually requires time. So the first mistake is is being creating this environment where we are consumed by what we're doing. We've created this indispensable element to the way that we work. And then the second one, I'm going to piggyback this right on, the second one is this idea that they think that they don't have time for replenishing energy because they think the only way to to fill up the energy is to slow down Mm -hmm. like this is a mistake we think that well i don't have time to stop but that stopping isn't actually what gives us energy sometimes it's shifting the direction of what we're doing so the other piece is teaching leaders what it means to rebuild their capacity and i think we have a very narrow view the word self-care comes up and we have a very narrow view of what that is and sometimes we think that vegging out in in front of netflix is going to be the way to to do it and and or not working uh, is going to be helpful, but we just sit there and we sk- scroll through our emails. But actually, teaching people strategies to disconnect from the work that they're doing and be present where they are is is the second side of things that just we don't learn about because we're so busy trying to work out of all the overwork that we're experiencing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're hitting on a lot of points that are are just they're at an epidemic level in the healthcare world, uh, burnout is something that is top of mind right now because it is- For very good reason. Yeah, it's a a real thing. You're gonna be speaking to Mm -hmm. the MGMA audience in March uh, at the financial conference. There'll be a lot of people there looking for answers, thinking like, my gosh, it was a real commitment to take a week or several days of the week off to be here. And they're looking for some real guidance in that. So. What are some of the ways that you would advocate that our listeners uh, can gain more energy throughout the day, throughout their mm-hmm. lives? Yeah, it's such a big question. Uh, and and there's there's kind of two pieces. First of all, burnout is epidemic levels. It just, it really, really is. And one of the things that's important that I'm going to share with people is we also kind of misunderstand burnout. Like we think that if we're working long hours, that's what's going to burn us out. Again, that that can be highly limited. Uh, one of We're finding one of the biggest contributors to burnout is feeling like we have no control in a situation, that, that we're at the mercy of the constant demands, expectations, always on type of environment, or we don't have control in the things that we are trying to to do and to adjust. I, I've said uh, I work a lot in finance and I work a lot in healthcare. And I always say those two are so much more related when I'm working like in like banking and in hospitals. And I, I will say that and they're like, no, it's not the same world. And I was like, well, you'd look at like in a way you look at money and health. Those are two huge, important drivers. So at this conference, you've just taken mm-hmm. both of those and put them together. So, so the implications and consequences of the work that is being done is huge, is huge. And that weight is a, is a heavy weight to carry. So there are, a, I'm gonna get into some like actual tactical strategies, 
which I think are really important. But I'm going to pull people back a little bit also because like every one of us, we have fingertips and we can hit Google to look at strategies to manage burnout. We are overwhelmed with strategies. We, I I mean, I'll put, I'm going to put you on the spot just for a quick moment. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we know that I don't think anyone would argue that our relationships with our digital devices uh, is not always a healthy one. It allows us to do a lot of work, to be different, to do, go to different places, to be responsive. But this, it's also created this environment where we're always on. Would you agree with me? Absolutely. Okay. And so, what is what we all know that we need to have boundaries with our devices, right? Like yeah. that's that's yeah. everybody agrees. Get, Top of mind, what's one thing, strategy that you've heard that would be an important thing for people to build into their everyday um, habits to help manage the the devices? (laughs) To uh, limit the amount of time you look at them? Yep. To have an end time at the end of the day. Don't Mm -hmm. look at it right before you go to bed. That's so common sense. Mm -hmm. Why don't we do that? Uh, it's that little, uh, that reptilian part of the brain, That's, you know, it's right. that impulse. That's it. <laughs> and, and it will like overcode negative things and it will say like, but I better check. And I'll actually, and then we, then we, we have these entire stories and belief systems that, okay, if I, if I, I'll be more relaxed, if I'll be able to kind of shut my brain off, if I know nothing urgent has happened. And we, and so it's like, I know that's a strategy, but I'm the exception to the rule. So I'm just going to check because that really helps me calm myself down. And so that isn't real. (laughs) It's not going to be helpful. But we have this kind of exception perspective that that doesn't work. So one of the things I actually have people do regularly is take some of the like top strategies that have been shared. And this sounds quite counterintuitive. Write down every reason why you think that doesn't work for you. Like, why won't that work in your world? It like literally take 10 minutes, quiet time, do this for as many as you as you can think of. Why why can't you take a 10 minute break in the middle of, of the day? We know that people who structure a minimum of two designated times of a minimum of 10, 10 minutes into their breaks, they are much, they have a much better capacity to disconnect from work when they are outside of work our brain is very habitual, but when we're always pushing through, when we leave work, we still carry that habit and mentality to consistently push through. So when people can actually look at what is the story they are telling themselves of why they cannot slow down, disconnect, find that time, you'll start to see some some very prominent and repetitive beliefs that get baked into things. And so I want to share with people kind of how your brain overcodes negative things when we are stressed and makes us believe that we have to stay engaged at all times. Mm-hmm. I'm going to share with people the, the distinction so that they've got a self-monitoring strategy. I call them key vitality indicators, just like key performance indicators that will help them recognize that tipping point of like good stress, good stress. And when we tip into to fatiguing that burnout zone because we know it but we actually are incredibly bad at identifying it in the moment so I want to share a strategy in order to do that and then the last piece is to really help people recognize what it means to build their capacity so they have the energy to fuel themselves and and with that I've got a, a very simple 
kind of um, acronym that I share. It's the idea of self-care, but it's to expand how we think about that and to recognize we need connection, activity, restoration, and exploration. There's four components that really help refuel us. And I'm going to kind of give some very specific strategies that not all of these are required all of the time, but how we build these into our days more consistently. So we build the capacity to have the energy to kind of do the work we need to do on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. How do you achieve this then? Because I'm sure you've heard when you've done your exploring and your your work with an, with a group yep. um, and you're walking them through it, then the excuses come in. And I, yep. excuses may not even be the right word, but reasons why we do it this way. And I'll give you one example uh, for, for medical practices. Um, fl- a, pi- a patient flow is, is vitally mm-hmm. important. So yeah. uh, to maximize profits, to really achieve the goals that a medical practice may have, part of that may be having uh, this perfect flow of patients coming through all the time. So yeah. if it's always go, 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 um, how do you slow down? How do you say no to that? How do you bake mm-hmm. in or build in those 10 minute breaks or that other time um, to then have that personal recovery time or that yeah. adjustment time? It, it, I mean, that is, that's, that's the key right there because there's all these pieces that are going on when i really do challenge people and and i spend a lot of time shadowing what people do so part of my research is around actually going in and being able to i I say walk the halls with people to really actually get an experience of of what they are doing and because as an outsider in a sense without the same skin in the game i can see places so first of all um every every place I have worked there is a moment where there is always a space where people can even take two minutes to step back and breathe a little bit there is those opportunities the challenge is we will then go and say well I've got you know all of these meetings back to back to back yes 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 I'm going to accept all of them haven't even looked at to see Mm -hmm. if I need to be the one that is there and then if one meeting just happens to end three minutes early the tendency of the first thing people do is they pick up a digital device they jump on an email instead of just slowing down for that moment and saying i've got i'm going to take these two minutes to breathe it it sounds like breathing and it's almost i'm actually in it's almost become like catchy like breathe Mm -hmm. uh however however when we are in that constant go mode we are constantly engaging our stress response naturally we're constantly loading cortisol through our system and one of the ways we actually manage cortisol better metabolize cortisol is to add oxygen back into our system Mm -hmm. it's 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 small sometimes it is small tipping points small things that we start to build in that create a different kind of space for people. So the first place is where do you genuinely have control and where do you not? So -hmm. the places we don't, okay, let's, let's move that over to the side. The places you do have control, the spots you do, the times you do have, when you are leaving work and going home, how are you utilizing that time to transition between those two? There are deliberate spots that we have to put deliberate actions toward part of it is just actually giving ourselves permission and believing 
that it is okay to do that. Mm -hmm. Healthcare is one that is full of very devotion, service-driven people. And I think as soon as you're in that type of environment, making choices for yourself when it feels like that is a selfish thing to do becomes very, very hard and where that belief system can be very challenging. So that when I go back to looking at why are the reasons why this won't work, the second side of it is, but if I were to make this work, how would this be of service? And I always start this way, how would this be of service to the people we are looking to serve? How would this be of service to the team that I am working with? How would this be of service to the people who deserve the best of me that are a little too consistently getting left over me? And how would this be a service to me? And the reason I say work out in is too often when it's just towards us, that actually doesn't, we feel that it's selfish. But when we start to see, wow, I could be much more empathetic. I could be present and listen to things. I, I could withhold jumping to judgment and, and suggestions and actually hear the problem. So we only have this meeting, this conversation once where we think strategically instead of just putting a Band-Aid on things. When we've got that, that's when we start to see there's worthiness in changing our behavior, that starts to shift our beliefs. Mm -hmm. um, you were talking about uh, KPIs earlier. Yes. Um, in your literature, on your website, in your blogs, there's mention of research that you've conducted. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about that research. W what exactly are you measuring? Are there right. tests that you're doing yourself? Are you aligned <laughs> with uh, a research organization? Yeah. How are you, uh, you know, developing and acquiring this information? So um, how I am start, so there's two ways that, two things that I'm working on right now. So there's two companies that I'm working with right now where we're actually looking, they're doing, they do 360 leadership uh, feedback. They do a lot of work on emotional intelligence. What we've started to add into this is looking at their top 20% performers where everything on those assessments have been really looking at how people do work. What we've also started adding is, is elements of these vitality pieces. So how people are managing their energy on a day-to-day. -day. So looking at how effectively people are pacing themselves. Uh, we're adding questions that allow and ask family to give feedback on how present people are, how, um, how consistently are they role modeling that taking some downtime is important. How often do people send emails late into the night? So we're starting to make sure that we redefine what successful leadership and performance looks like by correlating data on performance and how people manage relationships, but adding in elements that contribute to this vitality quotient. So th to me, I think it's really important to actually look at how successful people are doing this effectively in to, and how we actually started this conversation in various industries. Because I think there are some that are easier to put some of these in place than in other industries. And so instead of getting too narrowly focused on one, my goal is uh, the two companies that I'm working with. One is a professional service firm that's all on billable hours and different things that way, which makes it very hard for people to add these components in when everything they do is based on 
billable hours. And the other one is uh, a healthcare industry company. And so we are looking at both of those to apply these in, number one. Number two, by then looking at taking that data, myself and I have two other colleagues that are, are working with me, we are spending time interviewing people to genuinely understand what they're doing, to start to understand the practices and coding through to look at what are the underlying beliefs that are allowing them to make these changes. Because nobody's just doing this naturally. People are, are, are learning new skills and, and trying different things. And from that, uh, we're taking that in. And right now we found that there are some, some various archetypes of, of how people work effectively and how some people tip over into that burnout zone. And it's not always the same. Some, we found that there are, you know, much in healthcare, we find that there are people who I call uh, workplace devotionists. They're driven by service. The challenge is the belief that of service sometimes means to be almost a martyr, like to put their own well-being on the background in order to be of service tips them over the the line into burnout but that's not the same some other people are some entrepreneurs for example are are what i call workplace hobbyists mm -hmm. and that sounds weird but it's like they're they're driven by the learning and love of what they're doing the challenge is when that's all they do and that's the only thing that makes them feel happy then they lose out on all those other pieces that are going to actually give them the energy to keep doing that and there's some people who are driven by the pure achievement of that. And it's beautiful. But again, if now your work successes equal your work, work, your actual personal worth, different strategies need to go in place. So we're, we also want to just make sure we get away from this Band-Aid, hey, go to sleep at you know 10 o'clock and get your eight hours of sleep. Yes, that's really important. But what are how can we get more specific in helping people put strategies in place that align with why they are doing what they are doing and and we'll make sure that they still get to contribute in a way that is important to them as i said at the very beginning without trading in all other parts of life and ending up burnt out which pulls away from both mm -hmm. so work so really i always say i'm a i'm a street researcher that's my i <laughs> right. like it's like i'm that my kind of mantra is I take what science knows businesses want and leaders need and though and how we pull those three together um, so that it's really tactical strategic things people can do that are evolving as our workplaces are evolving yeah that, feeding off of that uh, on your website I, I found this quote from where you quote your husband he describes <laughs> you <laughs> he describes I your, know what you're gonna say yeah yeah he describes your career as a professional eavesdropping and people watching people and uh what does he mean by that exactly is that <laughs> seems a little weird but uh yeah. in a good way <laughs> well I try to own it so much that I actually have it on my Twitter profile exactly. like unofficially I am a eavesdropper people watcher yeah. I would win if that was an Olympic medal <laughs> I I would win it comes from uh, I will say it it's it's very he it's one of those things he says in like fondness and annoyance I can yeah. say that because I am I am just curious i have been yeah. this way i was that annoying kid who asked inappropriate even to this day i probably ask inappropriate questions i go deep with people very very quickly um i'm intrigued by that and i and i constantly want to understand how 
and without being corny, we are here for a limited amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and, and I have done work, um, hospice care. And uh, in 2016, my my mom passed away, and she, we had one conversation, and she had said to me, "I, I am one of the luckiest people. I have lived a great life. Mm-hmm. I'm just sad for all the things I'm going to miss." And something about that struck so deep in me mm-hmm. that 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 let's live like let's that vitality is a sense of aliveness so let's fully live that and learn from that and and kind of do it in a way where we fall down we make mistakes and we learn so i say that because the outcome of that is i'm constantly watching people and and here's a closing story for you i was listening to somebody talk about at a table my husband and i were at a starbucks and uh i overheard eavesdrop it's not my conversation <laughs> overheard a conversation of these two people talking about an email uh and they're you know one's reading the email out loud that guaranteed is not how the person wrote it like they're like and they're putting all this inflection into it and then their friends championing them and commiserating with them like yeah yeah that's terrible you know what you should write back and they're like they're building this email and i'm sitting there and i'm like oh no they cannot send that email. That is career limiting. I do this work. And my husband looks at me and he's like, no, not your conversation, not your conversation. I'm like, okay, I know. And so he leaves, he, right before we leave, he hits the restroom and just as he's walking out and I said, yeah, I, I'm going to hit the restroom too. And he walks out and I stopped by the table and I said, this is totally none of my business, but I would really suggest waiting 24 hours before you send that, right. that email because it won't look so bad tomorrow. And I like walk out and he turns around and he's like, you talked to them, didn't you? And I was like, I couldn't help it. <laughs> so it was probably totally inappropriate. I'll never see them again, but that is kind of where it's driven from just this curiosity and, and this want for all of us to be able to to live a life that we love and learn from. Yeah, it, it reminds me. I don't know. Have you ever seen any of the Jason Bourne movies? I'm not sure if you have, no, but I haven't. There, in the first one, there's this great scene that kind of sets the stage of his training that he's had as a spy, and he sits down in a coffee shop with this lady that he's met, and they've been sitting there about. 20 seconds, 30 (laughs) seconds, and he describes to her every single person in the room. Oh, wow. And he got this as he walked into it. Now he has his back to the room, so he... He tells her, yeah, this guy over to my left, he's, you know, he's left-handed oh, wow. or he's drinking a beer and this guy over here, he's, and he picked all that up in just a snapshot. So I'm going to be careful if I'm ever in a room with you because you're going to be running joke. Yeah, it's you're going to be observing everyone in there. I can't help it. It's very true. And if you were talking where I can hear you, I, I will listen. I know I shouldn't. I just can't. I just can't help. My theory is if you don't know I'm looking at you, then I'm not staring at you. It's not uncomfortable. I won't stare at you if you're looking at me. Right. But- Right. I am just looking to understand uh, human dynamics and human behavior everywhere, every way I can. There's the street scientist in me. Sure. Uh, a final thought here then. Um, do you have some uh, real life examples, a success story that you can share with us about leadership vitality, uh, an organization you've worked with or individuals? Yeah. And, and tell us about that and how the transformation uh, took place. I will do my best to keep this super kind of on point. Um, I think the easiest way would be perhaps an, an example. Um, I was debriefing um, 
some date, some feedback with uh, a leader, a leader who is who is a fantastic leader, who is incredibly, incredibly um, devoted to the work that she does in the team that she had. And I was debriefing some feedback with her, and uh, one of the one of the pieces on on the uh, assessment was around authenticity. And uh, she had gotten some feedback. This was a lower score for her. And so that immediately was very hurtful for her. And some of the comments came from her team. And the comments were, you speak, you always speak about work-life balance. You, you know, you, you always tell us that this is so important, but you email every time you are on vacation. And you email us on the weekends and at, at night. And so it feels like you're saying this is really important, but all of your actions feel incongruent, a lack of integrity. And that, that lowered this authenticity score. She was oh, devastated, mm -hmm. devastated by this, this feedback. Uh, and first, you know, just to meet her where she is, is to just acknowledge that's no like compassion, like, okay, that is, that is tough. Like, where is this coming from? And her response was the, the work never ends. Like I'm in meetings. I'm, do, I'm trying to have open door. I'm trying to be supportive and buffer my team. The only time I can get stuff done is at night. And I tell my team all the time, you don't have to respond. No response required. I said, okay, uh, why don't we, we, took a little bit of a break because I do believe some, you just got to let some emotions flow at first. We came back and I said, okay, I, I have one question. Let's just take the feelings out of this for one moment. Let's just look at a couple of the facts here. Do you email on in the evenings and on the weekend? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Intentions that you, you know, we judge ourselves on our good intentions. Let's just look at the impact because that's how other people are judging us. They judge us by our impact. The impact is your intentions are good. Great. Grant yourself grace there. Let's hold let's hold you accountable also to the impact. The impact is you you send emails on the weekend in the evenings. Do people respond? She's like, yes, but I tell them they don't have to. Okay, they respond. And and do you respond to them? She's like, yes. And when I interviewed the team, uh, and in fact, one of the reasons why she'd been passed over for a promotion is is there was concern that she was she was burning out that was almost a lot her her devotion was becoming a liability they were worried about her and and so when i talked to her team it's like well why you know why are you responding it's like well when your boss emails you <laughs> at nine o'clock at night if every if somebody else starts emailing and responding then then how am i not going to respond because then i don't look like i'm as committed mm -hmm. and so when i spoke to her i'm like well do you enjoy you know working in the evening she's like no i'm tired I'm like, do you think there's any chance that comes through in your emails? And she's like, yes, they're short, they're to the point, I don't wanna take up time. When we really started to look at how she was working and were able to separate the, the intentions that she had versus the impact that she was having, how she was working, she really, I said at the beginning, it's we believe we are an exception to the rule and we don't realize this is what we're role modeling and we, and we and again and again, I've seen people contribute to the problem that they are 
trying to fix versus the solution they want to see put into place. And so there's some, we started to just kind of look at how she was structuring her day. And, and it came down to even taking, she takes the first hour that it's blocked. It's, it's meeting free. It is not open door. She started on Monday, three days a week. So, so she doesn't have full control. There are certain uh, executive leadership meetings she had to be a part of, but basically Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, she would keep the first hour and a half blocked where she would hit some of her most important work. She didn't have, we stopped having an open door policy. And then I ended up working with their entire team where they removed the open door policy and they got really specific about being present and having certain times where they were having these one-on-ones, but, but being okay to say no. And then the third one was as simple as when she was starting to, when she would turn off her own work, she needed a time for that. But this is such a simple one, but uh, delaying sending the email. So if she had to take that hour each each evening, she felt that she had to. And, and I believe in small steps. Okay, if you have to do that, then put a delay delivery on it to the next day. So that it, at least that, the, that what you are role modeling and the words that you are using are demonstrated in your behaviors. Because at the end of the day, the, the, we pay attention to what our leaders are doing. There is a responsibility that is there. And so with this, this group, this actually opened up this to be the, one of the companies that I am actually working with now because it was her team that we started working with. And then people saw an actual significant difference in how teams were conducting themselves that it opened it up to say, can we actually test this and see if the ROI of people managing that vitality factor can make a difference in how people are are working and so this leader i i did i coached with her and i've got uh, one of my other coaches that is coaching some other people on the team but we're now 11 months out just about at a year mark and interviews with the team on what they're experiencing from their leader are night and day different night and day different and when she went back to talk to the team about the results instead of defending what she was trying to do she just said i i I see the gap in what i was saying and what i was doing i want to role model that and it needs to be demonstrated um i'm not emailing you at night i'm not emailing you on the Mm -hmm. weekend i don't expect a response back and if we need to do it then let's have a really specific conversation around that because that's going to happen sometimes don't get me wrong but in but that i think just even how we can grant ourselves grace but hold ourselves accountable to put the changes in place that we can that's what she could control she could control putting on a delayed delivery and then it turned out that that what she's finding is she doesn't actually have to do as much work in the evenings because she's given herself this hour in the mornings to get some work done so like it's small little pieces that we don't give enough confidence in the compounding effect that they can have Mm -hmm. Well, Sarah, Does that, that help as an example? Absolutely. That okay. was a great story. Thanks for sharing that with us. And thanks for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. We I'm look- looking forward to the to the conference and getting to dig into uh, all the meatiness of this stuff. That sounds great. All right. Well, thank you again. And again, we look forward to meeting you in person in Nashville. Wonderful. Thanks so much. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Sarah Ross. You can hear Sarah's general session at MGMA 20, the Financial Conference, March 5th through 7th in Nashville. Still need to reserve your spot? Use the code POD20 while registering. 
to save $200. Visit mgma.com slash TFC20 for more info and to register. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. We love hearing from listeners about the show. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com or find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Thanks for listening.